piece of advice I have for someone trying to succeed in the film industry or any creative space is if you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're doing it wrong. Welcome to Around the Craft Table, a podcast about movies, making movies, and other stuff. following essay was written by Around the Craft Table co-executive producer Miles A. Taylor to serve as a companion piece and the basis for an upcoming roundtable discussion episode. The opinions expressed in the essay are not necessarily shared by the rest of the team. In 1759, Scottish philosopher, economist, and author Adam Smith introduced the concept of the invisible hand. Smith's concept describes, in essence, and I'm paraphrasing here, I'm a filmmaker, not an economist, the idea that these people who make decisions, the powerful people in our world, are motivated by self-interest and use calculated decision-making in the manufacture of goods as well as trade, which in turn dictates the direction in which an economy will grow. Those in the working classes often are unaware of this manipulation not due to a lack of education or information necessarily, but because their role doesn't demand that they pay it any mind. Well, today, I'd like to argue that the movie and television viewing public is in a similar position, and that by being unaware of the invisible creative hand, we as humans who consume entertainment are at risk of stifling that which makes us, well, us, our unique individual voice, style, or aesthetic. I've thrown around a lot of philosophical jargon to open this essay, but let me ask you a question as I begin to discuss just what it is I'm getting at. In the course of our lives, as an entertainment viewer, how many times have we flipped through the channels on our cable box or your preferred streaming service and thought, there's nothing on. Or when we hear a friend rave about a new cop courtroom medical drama that's all the rage, and said aloud in a joking yet dismissive tone, Man, all that shit's the same. It's just repackaged. Well, that right there, that gut, visceral response is what I'd like to investigate. Pun intended. In both this essay and in the roundtable discussion on the regular panel we'll have on next week's episode. Part 1. Everybody knows money makes those choices. This reaction is usually met with a discussion from the friends in the room. One says, Well, obviously law and order is different from law and order traffic enforcement. They're in different cities and different divisions. Well, there's that. And the fact that the latter isn't real, but is by far the best spin-off idea for Law & Order, period. <laughs> I'll wait by the mail for my royalty check from Comcast and Dick Wolf. Jokes aside, there is another reaction that will frequently crop up. Ah, all these shows and movies are driven by the money they make. There's no creativity anymore. It's all either a remake or a sequel. Our friend Doug isn't wrong. That idea, the one that Doug makes about money being the engine that drives the entertainment we're presented, 
It's what spurred this fevered 3 a.m. pitch writing spree I had on the show's Trello board. What happens when people charged with making decisions about creativity and imagination askew both of those factors and only allow money to spur ideas? We get live-action remakes on uh, beloved cartoon classics and blue hedgehogs with human baby teeth. We also keep getting Zack Snyder films. Thanks, money. The big linchpin for this essay, however, is the live-action remakes. In particular, The Lion King from 2019. Part 2. Craftsmanship is Lion King. When The Lion King was released in the past year, it was met with moderate reception, with most just pining for the original. I have no interest in seeing it, but that's not my point in addressing the film here. My point is to ponder the point of it. Not as a cynical fanboy of the original, I couldn't care less about its existence from a commercial angle. In fact, why wouldn't Disney want to make a black hole in which to suck our collective wallets? I would if I were them. I'm pondering the point of it in the genre it was created in. I'll start off by stating that I consider the CGI animation wholly separate and distinct style and genre from what Pixar does, and especially in relation to hand-drawn work. There are countless videos and articles on YouTube debating the merits of the use of CGI in live action, but what about its use in creating photorealistic animation? When Walt hired Les, Mark, Milt, Ollie, Ward, Eric, John, Wolfgang, and Frank, otherwise known as the Nine Old Men, as his core team of animators, he did so because he knew that craftsmanship was, and still is, king. He knew that despite strictly enforcing a Disney aesthetic and universal style for the studio's work, they had the entire animation staff, each with their own unique flourishes, touches, and specialities as artists. So as time marched ever forward, countless animators, myself included, sought to learn from them and still carve their own unique mark. It would appear as though the insistence on individual craftsmanship isn't. Part of what makes animation so very special is that it can and indeed should endeavor to do things human bodies and the laws of physics can't. From physical comedy to gut-wrenching death scenes, animation breathes a special life into the characters of animated films. So what then do we lose when we ask an animator to achieve photorealism? In short, everything. By both acknowledging and then excising Smith's metaphorical hand, we are asking an animator to abandon not just years of training, but years of imagination, style development, an entire forest's worth of childhood sketchbooks. This is done all to animate some of nature's most unique creatures. Not just that, but do so using muscle structures those animals don't have. Part of the soul of both classical animation and the modern works of Pixar and studios like them is that they take the most minuscule details of their subjects and exaggerate them to best engage us as audiences. When that soul is handcrafted by a photorealistic mandate, it risks becoming withered and empty. Part 3. A Broader Context while much of this essay focuses on animation, these thinking processes do exist in the broader context of some of our favorite television shows as well. Take for instance the seminal fan favorite, The Walking Dead. 
I would quite confidently argue that its first season is the quintessential example of, and therefore the closest we may ever come to a perfect television season. Bullshit. Our imaginary friend Doug cries. Well, Doug, let me explain. From the moment the first episode opens to the bombastic ending of the season's sixth and final episode, the show pulls no punches and knows exactly what it wants from its audiences. It starts with the opening sequence of the pilot, lifted panel for panel from the comic, executive producer Frank Darabont's craftsmanship and care for the comic creator Robert Kirkman's work is immediately obvious. The show understood the concept that the real fear these characters were up against wasn't the zombies, but the fear of uncertainty and unfamiliarity the characters had with their circumstances brought about by the apocalypse. As a result, the creative team knew exactly what was needed to achieve success and the desired audience reactions, connections, and investment from the show. It is this lack of belief in what made the originals good, their clear display of the individual artist's hand, that I feel results in the homogeny and sameness of both the Lion King remake and your favorite series. You might be listening, wondering, sure, but what can I do? Well, this is a two-part answer. On one hand, nothing, nor should you. On the other hand, so much. We live in an age where sharing that piece of content that any viewer can tell is impeccably made is easier than ever. So just do it. Tell your friends, make a daring choice based on a thumbnail image, or watch something from another country. The idea of a unique voice isn't important in the grand scheme of things. What with everything else we all have going on day to day. It is, however, important to me, or you, or your aunt, or whomever you want to substitute for. A unique voice has made someone laugh, cry, energize them to work out, and maybe, just maybe, save their lives in some small way. So as you finish listening to this, consider the thought that while Doug may be right about money-driving decisions for some creative works, someone's invisible hand still crafted that work. <laughs>